Hey, all right. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys. So glad you're here with us to worship our Lord as a church family. Going to turn your attention. We're going to open up our Bibles today to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and then we're going to flip back over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. going to read Romans 8 first from the uh, New Living Translation, and then I'm going to take a chance in um, a moment and read it from the Passion Translation. And by the way, these scriptures are also on our screen here up on the stage, and you can follow along as well. Feel that? All right. Can you hear me? Am I on? No? Yeah? Okay, yeah, there we go. All right, Romans 8, verse 35. And the, the writer here is Paul, the apostle, and he says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Doesn't mean he no longer loves us. If we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. And his answer, no. Despite all these things, can you just say all these things? Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Who loved us. I love that translation. Overwhelming victory. Not maybe. Not possibly. Not mm, But yeah. With surety he says. In all of these things. Overwhelming victory. Is ours. But it's only ours. Through Jesus Christ. Let's look at this through. The passion translation. He says, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? His answer, no, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written all day long, we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, there's all these things, we triumph over them. How? For God has made us to be. God has made us to be. God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Let's pray over this today. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for new life that is in your son, Jesus Christ. Today we come before you and open up your word Lord, not to just say we did it, but so, Lord, that we can connect with you. 
so that we can hear what you have to say about our life. We'll give you this time, and I give you myself in Jesus' name. You can say amen and amen. I want to talk to you today on the subject, overcoming resistance. Overcoming resistance. Resistance or opposition, it's the, it's the force of something that is meant to prohibit the forward progress of something else. And Paul lists some of these things, these scenarios here in Romans 8. And he comes to the conclusion that no matter what, in all of these things, despite all of these things, in the midst of all, these, all of these things, he says overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. In Christ we are more than conquerors. And so I think there's really no greater story, I think, in life than that of someone who has faced some insurmountable problems, setbacks, kickbacks, struggles, if you will, and, and lives to tell about it as they overcome, lives to tell about it on the other side. I think there's no really other greater story that does the human spirit and the heart of a human any better than hearing and knowing about stories of people who overcome because it gives hope. It, it gives this inspiration that is inspired by the Spirit of God. I think the biggest, greatest overcoming story is that of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His story, His brutal death, His three-day burial, and His comeback resurrection. That hell couldn't stop Him, death couldn't keep Him, sin couldn't contain Him. Nothing could prevent him from hearing the voice of his father saying, it's time to get back up. It's time to get back up. It's time to get back up. And I think second to that, in my opinion, is uh, the story of David. The story of David versus Goliath. Anybody know that story? Anybody know that story? That's where we're going to hang out here uh, for the next few minutes is 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. You kind of have to look at this story of David in kind of a par in two parallels. One, David as a person, as someone we could all totally, um, you know, relate to. And then David in the sense that, that he's the foreshadow of Christ. You can see the foreshadowing of Jesus in this story, in the life of David as the king. And, and so we're going to look at it kind of through that lens, through, through that scope, if you will. And the thing with this story is kind of set this up. David had recently been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel at some point in time, at some day down the road. He was still a young person, and it was not quite time, but it was time to be beginning that, that, that preparation. And so, but David, in this story in, in 1 Samuel 17, he was about to come, he was about to step out of obscurity and into notoriety. David had a date with destiny. And it was his moment in this time of his life that God was going to catapult him forward. That God was going to shine a spotlight down on David's life. Anybody ever feel at, at point in time when you're in a situation, you're in life, and you, you may say, man, I just don't really feel adequate enough for this task. I don't feel like I'm fully prepared for what I'm about to enter into or where I am at in this stage of life. We can all feel that way. We can all uh, have that kind of thought. We can all have that kind of 
thinking because of things that we face, things that we deal with, situations out of our control even that you did not even expect to happen to you, as Paul was relating to in Romans 8. All of these things happen in life, but in the midst of them, in the midst of these things happening, overwhelming victory is still yours in Christ Jesus. And so you look at this story of David and Goliath, and David is about to step out of of being unseen, of being unheard, and now everybody's going to know who he is, including the king at that time, King Saul. And in this story, there are some relatable scenarios that, that you and I can um, take away and that you and I deal with in life. And there's these three things that David has to contend with. He deals with a valley, he deals with a giant, and he deals with people. You and I have to deal with valleys. You and I have to deal with the giant in, in our life, giants in our life. You and I have to deal with people in our life. And these are all things in this story that, that, uh, that are looked at as resistors. And you see through this story the triumphant overcoming spirit of David, how he overcomes these measures of resistance. And so I've titled this message today, in this overcoming resistance theme, I've titled it Valleys, Giants, and People. Valleys, Giants, and People. Let's look at, at this story here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, just to set this up. It says, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped. It says, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. And so the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. Verse 4, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, a giant, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Skip down to verse 12. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse from Bethlehem. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. And so it kind of sets this story up and it introduces these three resistors, the valley the giant, and then there are people involved. What does he have to, what do valleys, what do giants, what do people have to do with us today? How does this relate to us? Check this verse out in Psalm 23, uh, verse 4. David wrote this, uh, this, and it was a prayer of his. He said, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and you lead me through it all the way. And your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. And I'll never be lonely for you are near. That was the Passion Translation. Here's the thing with valleys. We either walk through valleys or valleys walk through us. We either walk through them, choose to walk through them as they present themselves... Or we just sit there and allow the, the circumstance of valleys 
to plow right through us. David here penned this prayer in Psalm 23. Famous, famous psalm that's memorized, that's quoted around the world at many different situations. And right in the middle of it, David said, You, O Lord, have taught me that if your path leads me through deep, dark valleys, I won't fear. I'm going to walk through it. I'm not going to let it walk through me. I'm going to walk through it. Because here's what happens with valleys. If we let them walk through us, first they, they make us lose hope. If we, if we don't keep walking and keep pushing through valleys, valleys push through us and cause us to lose hope. But if we will walk through them, we will reach the next mountaintop. If we let valleys walk through us, we will linger in our disappointments. But if we will learn to walk through them, we will taste victory again. If we let valleys walk through us, we will lag behind our pur- in our purpose. But if we will walk through valleys, we will live out our future and the future that God has and His purpose for our life. If we let valleys walk through us, we will... Our spirits will feel dry and God will certainly feel distant. But if we will push through and walk through them, we'll get spiritually refreshed and God's presence will be real. David wrote this prayer, prayed this prayer, sang this prayer on the backside of a wilderness while he's taking care of his father's sheep. And he wrote this understanding that valleys are a part of life. And here he was... Again, years later, here he was facing one of the biggest challenges in his life up until this point. A valley stood between him and victory. But he he knew, if I'm going to face this next thing, which is this giant, then I first of all have to be willing to come down the hill and go across this valley. As scared as he might have been. We already know, if you, if you read through this story, that the whole entire army of Israel were quaking in their boots. They were shaking in their boots. They were scared. They were scared. You know what I'm saying? They, they were scared. But David had to face that fear. And he knew he could face this fear and walk through this valley because Psalm 23, 4. He knew what it was like to face a valley that was dark, to face a valley that was deep. What about you? What kind of valleys have you, have you had to encounter? Maybe some of you today, what kind of valleys are you staring at today? And I want to encourage you that valleys present themselves to all of us in different seasons of our life, different types of valleys. And I want to encourage you, don't allow that valley to plow through you and ruin you and stop you and push you back. Choose to walk through that valley. Look, I don't get up hoping that I'll walk through a valley. I don't like valleys. I was just praying this week, Lord, I really don't want to have to walk through that kind of a valley. And I had this valley thing in my mind, this thing in my mind. And and, and I I didn't want to, I told the Lord, Lord, I don't want to, but here, I, I went out and mowed the grass later that evening, and I was just praying, and I told the Lord, I said, but Lord, if that's what you want me to walk through, then I just want you to give me the strength to walk through it. I don't want to have to walk through that. But God, if you, your path is leading me through that, then I just ask that you would be with me, and that you would give me the strength to endure. And somebody's already put down, Sydney's, mm, that's good chair, she, uh, that's good. 
I don't hear anybody saying that's good. How about you? Anybody, you don't want to have to walk through certain valleys, right? But at the same time, you know, if you really know the Lord, you don't want to ignore them either. Because if, he, if you go through them, he will be with you. David prayed. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in this translation, you remain close to me and you lead me, what? Through it all the way. God will not leave you short when you are walking through some pain. God will not leave you short when you're walking through rivers of difficulty. God will not leave you short. He will be with you. Our human heart, our human mind tries to avoid all conflict and all pain if necessary, if we can, right? Absolutely. Who wouldn't? But sometimes God's path leads us through dark valleys, leads us through valleys only to see what's on the other side. And if we will walk through valleys with the strength of God, we will taste victory again and we will taste what it feels like to be on the mountainside, on the mountaintop again. God will not leave you. God will never leave you. But we have to learn to walk through valleys if we're going to ever overcome anything in our life. But then, after the valley, David has to face this giant Giant. We all have giants in our life. And here's the thing with giants. We either face them or we flee from them. We either face giants or, or we flee from giants. We all have giants in our life. We have giants from our past. All of us have a past. that We have giants from our past. Some of us have not reconciled our past in Christ Jesus yet. And some of us have thought we did, but the past keeps haunting us. The past keeps speaking out. The past keeps knocking on our door. The past keeps finding a way to get back into our memory. And here's the thing with Christ. He redeems. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. That, that, that's just not a... A phrase that is the life of God's word that tells us if you are in Christ Jesus your old life is dead your old life is buried your past is under the blood of Christ and it no longer has power over you anymore and so anytime you're reminded of your past you just need to remind your past of God's future and God's promise in your life that you are forgiven and that you are free and that you are redeemed Giants from our past like to knock on our door. In fact, it's said of Satan himself that he is the accuser of the brethren. Always trying to accuse God's elect night and day. Accuse us of what? Accuse us of our past. And if you're trapped in your mind to your past, you need to remind yourself of who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live the same way you once lived. There's a change that takes place. There's a transformation that takes place. And you are not your past. You are Christ, and he has a future for your life. He has a future for your life. We, we have giants from our past, but you need to choose to leave it behind and keep it and put it under the blood of, of the Lamb. We have giants in our present. We deal with giants in our present right now in our moment of life. We deal with giants. But here's the thing. We've got to learn how to face the giants in our current situations, in our current time frame, in our current present life. We've got to learn how to deal with them. 
The Bible's explicit. It gives a lot of information about that, a lot of principles, a lot of kingdom principles. It's not just a self-help book. It's a life-changing book. It says the Word of God is living and active and powerful, able to do some powerful things. Cuts off the things from the past. Goes deep inside the soul and divides things so that you no longer have to be who you once were. But you can be different. You can be changed. And that difference and that change is not a different person in the sense that you're no longer looking like you are. But it's Christ's image in you. His character and who he is begins to form in you and become great in you and become big in you. But there are some things. I just want to highlight Three things about dealing with giants in our present. One, you need to learn how to get power from prayer. Power from prayer in God's presence. Power from prayer in God's presence. Look at uh, Philippians 4, uh, verse 6 here. It's on the screen as well. Paul wrote this. He says, hey, don't worry about anything. Easier said than done, right? Good old Paul. Don't worry about anything. But instead, he says, pray about everything. What does everything mean? It just, that's exactly what it means. It means everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I love that. His peace will guard your heart and your minds. As you live in Christ Jesus, not live in yourself, not live in your flesh, not live in your smarts, not live in your wisdom, not live in your strength, not live in your thing, live in Christ Jesus. And now he says, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things, these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And here it is, verse 9, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace, his presence, will be with you. But it starts off by praying. We need to learn to tap into the power of prayer, which releases God's presence in our life. In essence, will bring peace to our mind, peace to our hearts in whatever situation. Remember the context of this story, Romans 8, in the midst of all these things, we are more than conquerors. Overwhelming victory is ours. How do we face the giants of our present situations? Tap into the power of prayer which releases the presence of God. If you don't pray about anything, you will not receive anything. If you don't pray about everything, there's a 100% chance you will not get anything. God only answers the prayers we're willing to pray. Are you willing to pray? Whatever present giant you're facing right now. I was talking with someone this morning. They're in need of a vehicle. We got bad news at the mechanic shop this weekend. The repair costs more than the, than the value of the vehicle. And they're praying, believing God, trusting the Lord to do something. There might be somebody in here who has a vehicle that's willing to give it away. And if that's the case, talk to me. I'll set you up with that person. Whatever situation you might find yourself in, first pray about it. 
Whatever giant you're facing, tap into the power of prayer. Here's another one. Tap into the power that comes from the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 tells us this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith cannot be built up unless it is, first of all, rooted in God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In other words, our faith will be stronger the more of God's Word that gets in us. Because then when you get God's Word in you, then you will have verbiage to pray. You will have words that you can say. And in the event that you don't have words to say, Paul also teaches that the Holy Spirit prays through us, giving us words and utterances that we can't even think of. That's just the goodness of God. Because there are moments and times, right friends, when we just don't have the answer. When we just don't have the words. I've kind of found myself there this week. Lord, I, I want to pray, but I don't even know what to pray right now. And I began to just pray in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just began to release the presence and the peace of God. But how do you get to know that? You get to know that because God's Word teaches you that. And you've got to learn to tap into the power of God's Word that Hebrews tells us is powerful and living and is active. God's Word is active. Here's another way you and I can face the giants in our present day life. We need to tap into the power of partnership. The power of partnership. Look at Rome, uh, Ephesians 4.16. Ephesians 4.16, Paul writes, he said, He makes the whole body, the church, fit together perfectly. As each part in the body does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body the church is healthy and growing and full of love. The power of partnership when each member does its part. In other words, when each one of us does our part in the church with one another, here's what happens. We help the other parts grow so that the entire church can be healthy and strong and full of God's love. If we want our church to be healthy and strong and full of God's love, how does that happen? It happens when we all do our own part. And that's the thing about, that's the beauty of the body of Christ, is that we're not in this walk by ourselves. God did not set this thing up for you and I to walk this life of faith out all by ourselves. We have one another. We have one another, the power of partnership. Here's the thing, we need to be able to build that strength of partnership outside of what happens here on Sunday mornings. This is the time where all of us collectively can come together as one. But then out of this, we should be having relationship with one another outside of Sunday morning. And I can't encourage you enough to try to surround yourself with the circle of community through this church. There are friends, there are people, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to walk with one another. And then at the same time, God wants to use your life to actually be a blessing to someone else's life, to do your part to bring strength and edification and growth to someone else. But it's us determining, us being willing, us committed to do our part in this partnership. So I encourage you in that. I especially encourage you to find a life group that we have that takes place once a month. Find one of those life groups if you're not a part of one. Connect yourself with that circle. Get involved. Get engaged. Begin to show yourself faithful there. And you'll begin to see God move in your life 
in a fresh new way because it's the power of partnership, the church working and relating together. In fact, the word fellowship in the New Testament, most of the time, it means not a potluck after church. What it means is a camaraderie, a joint partnership together, one brother and other brother, sisters and sisters working together in the body of Christ, loving on each other, praying for each other, serving one another, encouraging one another, checking on one another, being there for one another. That's how you and I, it's another way you and I can face our giants today is that we don't do it by ourselves. But you have the, the body of Christ with you. But then there is also, there's giants in our future. And the thing with giants in our future is this. We can either be ruled by fear of the future, the fear of the unknown, or we can take heart the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. He says, just don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own thing. Today's got enough of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Any, and you don't have to raise your hand, but any, does anybody worry about the future? worry about the unknowns some of us are so captivated by when will the world end how will it all come down some of us wonder will I have enough money when I retire some of us wonder will my, will I, will my kids be able to afford whatever and be able to go to college or do this or do that and we, we, we're, we're just a worried society if we worry today people worried back then and that's why jesus says hey don't worry about tomorrow you and i are going to face let me just go and tell you, we're going to face some stuff tomorrow in our future we don't have a clue what it is and here's the deal we shouldn't waste our time trying to figure it all out take the words of christ don't worry about tomorrow we must learn to face our giants the way david did david faced the giant and there's so much more to this story that I could really take like four or five weeks on this whole chapter. But I wanted to just kind of capture the spirit and the anthem of this story. And that is overcoming what stands in our way. Overcoming the setbacks. Overcoming the struggles. Anybody tired of the same thing always getting you down? Anybody tired of just the same old thing seems to always flare up and always be an issue and always be a problem and always be a setback and always be a struggle? My hand is raised too. And then lastly, David had to deal with the familiarity of people in his life. The familiarity of people. Look at this word of wisdom found in Proverbs 29 in the message translation. It says... The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. How about that? Yeah, yeah that's the sign right there. You caught it today. You got the spirit of Sydney Wise today. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> we should have these signs. Just pass them around, Lindsay. Everybody gets the whole one up and just hold it up. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> But it is, man. Check that out. The fear of human opinion disables you, cripples you, paralyzes you. What do people think of me? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you deal with that, think about that. 
I'm not going to, I'm no psychologist, so I don't know the statistics. And uh, if I read a statistic on the internet, you know it would have to be true, right? Because everything's true that you read on the internet. And there's no fabrication of any kind. But I would dare say we all have a something in our mind that worries about what people think of us. And any young person here today, it doesn't go away when you get older. So I'm just going to let you free your mind now. Then when you get to be 25, 35, or whatever it is, it's still there. It just might not be as strong. And it doesn't even have to be strong in you at 15 or 17. You can be free about what people think of you at 15 and 17. It's probably really big in the pure cycle of, of, of our society today at that age group. In that adolescent span, what do people think of me? What are people going to think if I post this shot on Instagram? Are they going to talk about me or am I going to get a thousand likes? And let me just free you. Who cares? God likes you a thousand times, times a thousand, times a thousand, times a thousand. If he could hit the like button, he'd be hitting it nonsense. He'd just hold his finger on the button because that's how much he loves you. And you don't have to have a person to affirm you about how you look for you to feel good about yourself. And David had to face that. The fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you from that. I love that. When we trust in God, God, what do you think about me? What do you say about me? What is your perception of me? And then whatever it is, just let me be good with that. But you also got to learn to have a healthy understanding of theology the way God views us. God is not in the heavens waiting with a huge gavel and hammer to pulverize you and pound you every time you mess up or every time you forget to pray or a day goes by and you forget to read the Bible. That's not him. So you need to understand that. God doesn't hate you. God is detested by a lot of the things we do. Because they don't honor him, but he doesn't hate you. All right? God loves you. God loves you. But the fear of human opinion, man, disables us. How did everybody see David? David was the last to be picked by Samuel, the prophet. He looked through all of his other all of other David's brothers and God was like, No, not him, not him, not him, not him. You got any more? Yeah, David, he's way out taking care of sheep. He really stinks. Well, let's get him in here. I'll wait. He gets in there. He anoints him. God's like, that's the one. He was the last to be picked. Last to be picked. Maybe, maybe somebody in here is always the last. feels like you're always last to be picked for something. I know I'm not talking to a bunch of middle schoolers, but I am talking to people, and it stinks to get overlooked no matter how old you get. It stinks to not be valued for what you can bring to the table. David was the last to be picked. He was the youngest in age, youngest in size. In fact, he was just the gopher boy. He'd go for this and go for that. That's all he was good for at that time. So people thought. But what was happening behind the scenes, what was happening in obscurity with it, nobody was seeing what was going on with David. David was playing the harp. David was sharpening his slingshot skills. And David was getting strong because David could jump on a lion's back and kill that joker. David could tackle a lion and knock him out. 
when it went after his father's sheep. David was so concerned of taking care of all of his father's sheep that not a lion and not a bear could prevail against David. See, that was the backstory that nobody knew was going on but between him and the Lord. And friends, there are some backstories to you today. Other people don't know what's going on with you. Other people don't see how you're working through certain situations. Other people don't see you praying. Other people don't see you worshiping. Other people don't see you reading God's word. Other people don't see you tithing and giving. Other people don't always see you giving and, and serving and doing things. But listen, there's a backstory to all of us. And if God is a part of that backstory, story, God is fashioning you, God is forming you, and God is preparing you for something good. He's always helping you to go forward. And that's where David was. David was a singer, he was a songwriter, he was a skilled musician, he was a slingshot throwing shepherd, and he was going to be king one day. He didn't ask for it, he didn't pray about it, he didn't like go in and put his resume in and fill out the application to Saul. It's like, hey, one day I want your job and I'm just going to go ahead and get on in this thing now and work my way up. It was not of David's concern. It was all about God's pick, God's call, God's choice, God's will, God's design for David's life. And it shows us that when everybody is against us and no one really understands us because of the familiarity of how people view us, God always has a higher view of you. God always has a higher view of you. How David saw himself. David had a choice as to how he would live. David had a choice. He would either be ruled by the view of others or be free by the view of God. We have a choice on how we will live. Will we be ruled by the small view of others about us or will we be free by the view that God has of our life? You see, if David would have lived by the view of others, then David would have never come out of the pasture and into the palace to eventually be the king. And there are some things, and there are some places, and there are some scenarios about your life that you may not be known by everybody, but you're going to be known by somebody. And that somebody's just waiting on you to walk through the process of letting God finish what he started in you so that he can get you to that next place. See, that's the thing about God. He uses places in our life to prepare us for what's next. It was out in the pasture that's, that David penned the, some psalms and played them on a harp, and he sharpened his slingshot skills. And it was his psalms that positioned him to go before the king in the palace and to play them on a harp. And it was his slingshot that positioned him before the Philistines in order to face the giant. But David had to make a decision Will I let the view of others? My older brothers don't think I should. My older brothers don't like it that I am here. They thought I just came to watch what was going on. But really, when I heard what was going on, and I saw that nobody was standing up, that nobody was doing anything, I had to answer the call. And I had to do something about it. David was not ruled by the view of other people. The familiarity of people, the fear of human opinion will disable you. But it was his view of who he was in God that put him in the right places of life. And there are places in our life that we will go. There are places in our life that God will take us. And that from one place to the next place, there is a preparation that goes on. 
God uses your measure and your, your season of, of your struggle and your season of setbacks at times to just perfect something to get you ready for what you will face next. And he knows that if you bypass that process, and if you shortchange that process, and you don't let him perfectly work out some things in you, that you will not fully overcome what is next. See, that's why you and I, we cannot get in a hurry with what God wants to do with our life. At 12, 13, 15, can't wait to get out of high school, can't wait to go to college, can't wait to get a job, can't wait to get married, can't wait to have kids, can't wait to make more money, can't wait to buy this, can't wait to buy that. Here's the thing. Don't get in a hurry. If I could tell my younger self, don't get in a hurry. You heard me. Because that will build anxiousness. And the faster you try to get out of something, you think the quicker you get into something next, you won't fully appreciate where you've come from and you won't fully appreciate what God is trying to do in the next season. I want to tell you this. We all have seasons of setbacks. Come on, Thomas. We all have seasons of setbacks and struggles. Every single one of us. But overcomers don't live there. Overcomers don't remain there. Overcomers don't stay there. Overcomers don't. Overcomers will experience it, but overcomers will keep pushing through. We all have seasons of setbacks and seasons of struggles. And I want to tell you today that God is calling you out of your season of setback and your season of struggle. Whatever it might be, a valley that you that, that, you, that it's in front of you, that you've got to make that decision today. Some of you are hesitant. You've got some valleys in front of you, and you just don't want to walk through them. You don't want to walk through them. And I want to encourage you, the sooner you start walking through them, the sooner you will actually get through them. The sooner you will get through them. And the promise with the valley is God is with us. We have giants in our life, whether it's past or present, or we're fearful of the future, here's the thing, you need to just stand your ground and face them. Face them. Don't flee from them. Because you wake up tomorrow, they're still going to be there. You wake up next week, they're still going to be there. You can't sweep giants under the rug. They just don't fit. They just don't fit. You try to sweep a giant under the rug, you're going to trip over it going to look ugly in your living room. People are going to notice it. You can't. you got to face giants. What are you facing? Don't be afraid to face it. Don't be afraid to face it. you got people in your life, man. We all have people in our life. We all have to wrestle with what people think of us. But I want to encourage you as much as you, I can is don't be ruled by people's opinion of your life. Because you'll end up trying to be whatever they want you to be. And you won't be who God has called you to be. We're going to sing this song called Holy and Anointed One. We sang it earlier. And as we go through this, we're just going to declare.
We're just going to declare as we close out this service. That as we declare that name of Jesus. As I told you on the onset of this story. The parallel of this story is not only David as a person, but the foreshadow of Christ, our King, Jesus, who came and conquered and overcame. And then in him and through him, we have this overwhelming victory that is ours. That we're going to just sing this song and declare his name, that he is holy and he is anointed, and he is risen and he is exalted. And whatever valley you're facing, whatever giant you're facing, whatever person in your life you're dealing with, here's the thing. Put your hope and your scope in Jesus. Put your hope and your perception and your eyes on Jesus. Can we do that?